Good morning. You have a Bible? Take your Bible now, would you, and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. One of the things I like to do is I like to um, stand back there and greet people coming in, just let people know that I love them and care about them. I'm glad that they made a decision to come and worship with us today. And while we were singing, um, I moved over to that wall over there and we sang this song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. I love that. I just, yeah, that's sweet. So I, I, anyway, we were singing this and, and I was looking right across, kind of looking at you singing and but I was looking right across, I was looking at that wall. And I saw again the, um, the words that we put up on the wall there, both sides. We did that on purpose to remind us of the great commandment. Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment. You remember? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So we're singing, bless the Lord. And, and I was reading that and I was thinking... Why? Why would we ever make a commitment like that? I mean, that's, it's pretty intense the more you think about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I, I don't know if you've thought about that lately, but that's, that's beyond me. I mean, do we ever do that all? But that's what God wants. And then I was thinking, why? Why would we ever do that? You know, the world says that you add God to your life to help you get through. But life sometimes just beats us up. It overwhelms us. I know that some of you have walked into this room today and you're burdened. You have heartaches and stuff has happened that you never, ever anticipated would happen. And so the whole idea of now I'm going to love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength, and I'm going to love people too. What a demand that is. What would ever cause us to really want to do that? The, the world says, you know, that this world, this life is all there is. Uh, I remember a song way back in the 60s. You ever, any of you remember the 60s? Patty Page made it famous. It was called, Is That All There Is? Remember that? Any of you remember that old song? That was right, written in a time of real despair in America where we were all skeptical and uncertain and rather depressed, disappointed in so many ways. That song, talk, he, she talks through it about life and love and people and, and then she sings the chorus and it goes like this. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing, let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. Pretty depressing song. I want to tell you that in these weeks we've been struggling, Matt and I have been struggling, to try as best we could to unravel, unpack, if you will, this amazing place in the Word of God. And the reason is because God knows what is and what must be. God has a plan. When, we, when we're so confused about life and when life does beat us up and we don't know why we would ever commit to make a commitment like that, to love God with, every, with all, then Paul comes in and says, let me tell you what God has done. And let me tell you what God is doing in your life. 
Because we are so ordinary people, and we just we walk along, and life just happens to us, and we start thinking that the only thing that's really real and very powerful in our life is the problems, is the hurts, is the stuff that's going on. And Paul is attempting here to lift up the eyes of people and and help us to see that there is a thing called the heavenly places, and God has been working from before He created the world. To accomplish something that is so incredible that it's beyond our grasp even to understand it. That God has this plan and this design to actually take sinners like you and like me and to unite us together with the Son of God to place us in Christ. Do you remember Matt talking last week about how many times these verses say in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved? This This is a fascinating idea that God, that God's cosmic purpose is to actually take people like you and me, and to unite us together with his son so that when he sees us, he sees us in his own son. And so Paul, in this amazing sentence, you remember Matt talked to you last week, from verse 3 to verse 14 is one long sentence. Somebody told me out in the lobby earlier that they'd actually tried to diagram this. I said, how'd it work for you? He said, yeah. You know, it's one of these run-on kind of things where you just, there's no way. And it, it just, we put periods and commas in it to try to figure it out. But it was just one long thing. And I just imagine Paul dictating this and, you know, Luke or whoever it was is trying to write it all down. And, and it's really all about God, God's blessings in our life. That God is this God who does such incredibly good things for us. And this is what should compel us, among other things, to actually love him with all of our heart and soul and mind. It's not that you've got to work this kind of love up. It's what must happen to us is that we must see and hear what it is that God has done for us. And when we understand how much he has loved us first, then our response is one of love. And then we're going to need help even to be able to love him rightly. And of course he tells us he gives us that also. It's an amazing place. I ask you to read it with me one more time. Would you stand to your feet and let, let me read through Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14. Follow along in your Bibles where Paul writes these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This is where we left off last week. Now verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
We're going to need some help this morning, so let's pray. Father, I know, I sense right now my great need to even try to teach. We need you to work miracles only you can work, and we recognize, acknowledge, submit to, and believe in the presence of the Spirit of God in our life to help us understand and to know and to believe and to do. I pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would be our teacher today. And Lord, I, I ask, will you just will you help us so this is not just one more sermon, but will you help us to fall more deeply in love with you so that we, in turn, by the love with which you give to us, might love you with our heart and soul and mind and strength. Oh, and then to love people, too. This is our request. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So I attempted to suggest five main things from this passage. They're in your note sheet. If you'd like to follow along, we'll put them up here on the screen. The first is, beginning with verse 11, In Christ we are predestined. Here's the word again, predestined for inheritance by God's will. Paul is saying in these verses that God has had a will, a plan, a counsel, a determination that began before he created the world. And immediately when you say something like that, the mind boggles. It's like, what? Before he ever created the world, he knew what he was going to do. And that God has this plan, if you will, that God is carrying out a predestined plan and will. The word predestined has to do with determining beforehand. That God has a will and a plan. And if you think about God, of course, then you would probably more easily submit to the idea that if there is a God like the Bible says there is a God, then he probably has a will. Right? He probably has a plan. He probably knows what he's doing. He probably has a clue, right, that God is great. And this God who created all things certainly has a plan and a will. And now Paul is saying, look, this is, he's talking about the will, the predetermined, predestined plan and will of God. And he specifically says it has to do with bringing about everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This is one of the strongest statements in the word of God about what we call the sovereignty of God. That Paul lifts up two great truths. One of them is that God predestines his people according to his will. And God gives an inheritance in Christ. And once more is repeated the word in Christ again and again. <clears throat> now, if you have a New International Version, you might see that it says, In him we were also chosen. Just a word about that. Um, frankly, I don't know why they translated that way. If you have another Bible translation, it probably says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. The word is a complex word. It's used here, the only place in the New Testament, which is probably one of the reasons why it's difficult to translate. It's the idea of a parent allotting an inheritance to a child. Or a parent allotting or giving to his child an inheritance. Hence, most Bible translations say, in him we have received or have obtained an inheritance. We are the very inheritance of God. That we have this thing called an inheritance. God has either made us his inheritance or God has given us an inheritance and it may be it's both. We are the inheritance of God. You have an inheritance. You ever had an inheritance? It's pretty cool when you get an inheritance. So now... Paul is saying, we have an inheritance, and that inheritance is found in Christ. 
And some of you have observed here, you've even talked to me about this, these verses are all about in Christ, that in Christ we have an inheritance, in Christ we are predestined, in Christ we are chosen, in Christ we are forgiven, in Christ we are redeemed. And that's really true, that God's purpose has to do with his Son. His purpose is not primarily about you or about me. It's about Jesus, as you would expect, that the Father's purpose is all about his Son, of course, then, we must believe and we must, we must hear the, the good news about him and we must hear it and believe it, which he will say in a moment. Meanwhile, God is the first cause that God is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his own will. That God has a plan, God has a purpose, it involves everything. Which, again, boggles. Really? We go through life and we think, does it include that? Did God predestine that? Does God have a plan for everything that happens? Is, is it really truly God's will? And Paul is making clear that it is the, that, it, that God has the power to carry out His plan. And if you start isolating certain individual events in your life, it's very difficult for you to believe this. But when you think of, in terms of the plan of God that begins from eternity and moves into eternity future, that God has a purpose and a plan for that, it becomes a little bit easier to understand. God is not taking suggestions on how to run the universe. He didn't create it and walk away. He's not figuring out what to do as we go along. He's not saying, oh, I didn't know that would happen. We need to do a little course correction here. Paul is saying God has the wisdom and the power, the will, if you will, to know exactly what he's doing and to use everything to accomplish his ultimate purpose. Now, if you've had some tragedy in your life, you'll question that right now. And, and then you turn in places like Romans 8, 28. You remember that one? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Really? Paul never stops being amazed at this. That God has this plan, this overarching plan that's moving through, through time and we have connected with it in Christ I don't know about you, but I struggle with some of these things. Some of these words like predestined and chosen and Jesus said the word elect. And, and some of you struggle with it too. A couple of you have come to me and said, will you explain this to me, please? And I've said, no. <laughs> and the reason is because I can't. I've read some, quote, explanations that fall sort of on this side of the, of the coin and some fall on this side of the coin and none of them are persuasive to me. What I see is this incredible two-sided coin where this is true and this is true and the word of God never tries to explain it. I used to read a lot of A.W. Tozer stuff and A.W. Tozer said, some truth is to be fully understood and some truth is not to be fully understood, it is simply to be received. Simply to be received. Now, if you're, you know, if you have a pretty good self-image about your own brain, you, you might react to that a little bit. And, of course, people in the world do. They, a lot of people say, look, if I don't understand it, it must not be true. Which is, like, so arrogant. If there is a God, of course he's greater than we are. And, of course, he does things. I fall back on a verse in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29, 29, says that the revealed things belong to us and to our children, and the hidden things belong to God. That there are some hidden things. There are some things that he has not ever tried to reconcile for us. I mean, when you open your Bible, you're, you're confronted with this from the very first paragraph. When you open your Bible and it says, 
Remember what it said? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Have you thought about that one lately? I mean, uh, when did that happen? How did that happen? How did that work? How, what did he made it out, make it out of? Where was the stuff? You know, how long has God been around? I mean, and it just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's almost like God wants you just to read that and believe it. But we have questions. And so some people say, because I don't get that, it must not be true, which is nonsense if you take into consideration the fact that there is a God. So I want to suggest to you, the fact that we don't fully understand everything is an indication of the fact that we are not God and God is. And we are worshipers. And it's these kind of things that one of the things that happens to us is it should compel us to submit to him and to recognize his wisdom and ability is beyond us. Some people will reject him because of what they can't understand. I choose to worship. And I try to understand. Let's go on. Verse 12. In Christ, we hope in him for the praise of God's glory. We see through these verses, he, he repeats the idea of the glory of God three different times. And, and what Paul is saying now is that God glorifies himself in his son. He glorifies himself by his son and by this whole reality of God taking sinful people like you. Bunch of sinners. Oh, me too. People like us and uniting us together with his son, Jesus Christ, so that when he looks at us, he thinks of us as together, united in Christ. How amazing is that? Could that be true? Does he really look at you like that? Does he see you in Christ? Does he have this vision of you? This clear vision of knows exactly who you are and exactly what you think and exactly what you do. And he knows all about that. He knows how your mind works. He hears your thoughts and he sees you in his son. Gee, could that be true? In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, hope in Christ. To hope in Christ is perhaps one of the shortest definitions of real Christianity there is. To hope in Christ. What do we do? We hope in Christ. My friends, my religion is a confidence in Jesus Christ. It is a trust in Jesus Christ. It is a love for Jesus Christ. It is a response to Jesus. It's about the joy and love that God has given through Jesus Christ. This is what faith is. It's to hope in Jesus Christ. And we've talked in these days we want to be a people of faith and love and hope. And they are really, in a sense, one that we believe in Jesus Christ and we love in Jesus Christ and we love others through what Jesus gives us and we hope in him. And by the way, this is what accomplishes the purpose of God. This is what actually carries out God's purpose when he brings people together so that they hope in Jesus Christ and all of this is for might be for the praise of his glory. It's like God is trying to glorify himself alone. By uniting us together with his son. And so one more time in these verses, in verse 6, in verse 12, and again in verse 14, we see this phrase, to the praise of his glory. That God is working overtime. No, you're not working overtime. That's silly. God is working to bring glory to himself. Now, again, the human mind rebels a little bit at this. 
You know anybody who likes to focus on themselves? You know, you're talking to them and suddenly they will turn the conversation back around to them and what they've done or, you know, and, and the idea is, it's almost like you get the idea that the center of the universe is them. And the idea seems to be that they want to be glorified and honored. We have this natural sort of human tendency to do that. It's called pride. You work sin in there and it becomes a real problem. But then we say, but God, God draws all glory to himself. He's like this great big human or deity of vacuum of the glory. You know, all the glory goes to him. We're all supposed to worship him and love him and honor him and Everything about us is to be given to God because God... And you ever wonder about, is he like this huge egomaniac? You know, or he created us because he needed something from us, that he, he needs our glory in order to be fulfilled somehow. Is, is that... You ever wonder... I mean, we question this in human beings. If they ever try to glorify themselves, we say, yeah, you know. But in God, we say, no, this is right. This is normal. This is the way it should be. Why do we do that? Hmm. Because he is great. Because the truth and reality is that he is wonderful. That he is perfect. That he is holy. This is, this is more a recognition of reality. And then it's a recognition that God has done what only he can do to give us the greatest gift possible. What is the greatest gift possible? It's him. He is not an egomaniac. He's simply the truth. And he looks at you and he says, look, you're going to find your greatest delight and greatest joy and greatest satisfaction when you come close to me. Have you ever had a, a religious experience of worship where you were just filled with joy, where something happened in you and, and, and you, were, you were just... You were like ecstatic. You were just like, oh, this is sweet. And, and it happened in time of worship. You ever, you ever wonder about that? And then you begin to realize is that the closer I get to God, the more clearly I see his face in those brief moments in time when I truly worship. Then it's like this connection between the Almighty and the sinful. And God gives me the delight of pure joy. Can you imagine a God who says to you, I want you to have me? And that is what God is doing for us here. That's what the, all these blessings are about. He's saying to you, I want you to have me. And that you will find one day that, this, that everything else will pale into insignificance when you see my face. When all the limitations and restrictions are l- removed from you. You will see the glory of loving the Lord your God. See, this is not just a command that we cannot do today. This is a promise that one day you will. That one day you will be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And you will be able to love all the neighbors also. It's going to be sweet. Well, let's go on. Verse 13. So now Paul, what Paul does is he says, well, he's, he's not unaware of the reality that we have a problem with this whole thing of, or questions about this whole thing of the sovereign plan of God that sort of happens to us and we wonder about how do we fit in in verse 13. Now he brings them together. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you, here's the words, heard the word of truth or the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. Gospel means sal- good news. Having believed, you heard and you believed. When was it that God put you in Christ? The theologians have fun with this one. You might have the feeling that when you read these words about predestined and chosen, you know, and redeemed and all those things from before the creation, I mean, you might have the idea that, well, this happened before I was ever born, and so I have absolutely no responsibility whatsoever. But now Paul says, you were included in Christ when, notice the word when, when you heard the word and when you believed. Have you heard and having believed. Now Paul's perspective shifts from the overwhelming purpose of God and now he brings it right down into the time that you live in and he says when you heard and when you believed God actually placed you in Christ many years ago we used to try to convert people to Jesus and we'd say things like well if you're reluctant you know to give your life to Jesus you just need to try Christ I don't say that anymore. Some people I can remember here, people say, you just need to add Jesus to your life. I remember seeing a bumper sticker, add Jesus to your life. My friends, real Christianity is not adding Jesus to your life. Real Christianity is God adding your life to the life of his son. That's real Christianity. When God... Through you hearing and believing the message, God takes your life and unites your life together with the life of the Son of God. It's not me adding Jesus to me. It's about God adding me to Jesus. Do you see how that changes everything? How that is, that's why you're secure. That's why you have an inheritance. That's why everything else, all the rest of the blessings that, that Jesus merits are your merits because Jesus is the one who gets the inheritance. Some of you have rightly understood this, that this predestination chosen thing is all about the Son of God, that the Father has chosen the Son and predestined the Son and given the inheritance to the Son. And now he has reached down and scooped us up by grace and put us right into his Son. And if you are in his Son... Really, in his son. And if the father, the judge of all heavens and earth, looks at you as in the son of God, then, my friends, you, there is no safer place to be. And that is what Christianity really is. So here's where Paul brings these two things together. The sovereignty of God, on one hand, the power of God to work out his purpose and his will after the counsel of his own plan, and our human responsibility. So Paul, on one hand, says, look, we obtained an inheritance. The word word is passive there. We were given an inheritance by God. And and on the other side of the coin, we heard. you got to hear. So over on the sovereignty side, we were predestined and chosen. And over on the responsibility side, we believed. And over in the sovereignty and, you know, and chosen side, we were included in Christ, that that was a work of God. Jesus said, you've got to be born from above. It must be a new creation. This is something only God can do. Your believing and your hearing doesn't save you. God must do that. But then he says, but then you hope in Christ. So, which is it? And just fascinating to me that Paul never says, I know this is causing you a headache, so let me explain. He doesn't ever explain. I mean, in some of the deep, this deep water and every other place where he does this, this sovereignty of God and human responsibility thing, he just doesn't explain it. 
bugs me. <laughs> so what? What do you do with it? Well, some people said, well, it's really all about the sovereignty of God. We don't have to do anything. You know, we just, if you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. So don't worry about it. On the other hand, everybody says, no, it's everything about you. You've got to hear and believe and choose and decide. And it's really, if you don't do all that, you better seek God or you're in trouble. And so it's all about human responsibility. And, and neither one of these are, seem like defensible from the word of God. What God does is he, Paul just says, you're predestined and chosen before the creation of the world. Oh, and when you heard and when you believed, he put you in Christ. So, what are we responsible for? We're not responsible for this side. But we are so responsible for this side. So when you hear the gospel, you must hear and believe. You've got to choose. You've got to decide. Does that mean everything is dependent upon you? The Bible doesn't say that. What does it say? It says, choose. It says, receive Christ. It says, decide. It says, hear and believe. So then, what do we do? Well, we tell people the gospel, right? Because we believe that God not only ordains the end, but he ordains the means. And the means is, is preaching the gospel. It's telling people that God loves them. And somebody did that for you, right? Probably wouldn't be here if somebody didn't do that for you. And what did you do? You heard and you believed. And when you look back on it, you might even think that was a little miraculous. I've yet to find a believer who, who really says it was all about me. I heard, I believed, I chose God. I sought God, and I found him. Almost all of us said, you know, man, we just, by the grace of God, you know, I resisted and fought and lied and, you yeah. know, and he pursued me. So what do you do? Oh, my friends, you hear and you believe. Well, how do you know? How do you know that it's real? How do you know that you really are in Christ? How do you know that your hearing and your believing, if you want to say it that way, actually resulted in a new creation, that you really are a Christian, that you really do belong? How do you know that? How can, can you ever really know that? I mean, I've talked to too many Christians over the years, and I used to say this myself. And I, said, I said, are you, are, you know, are, when you die, if you die today, are you, where are you going to be? And I said, well, I, I hope, I hope so. I think I am. Does God go, oh, that really honors me? No. I mean, that's what this is about. He, he's doing, this is written to Christians, by the way. It's written to believers. So if an unbeliever confronts this, it's, I mean, it's hard. I mean, we struggle with predestination. You talk to somebody who doesn't even believe in Jesus, and they, oh, they'll think you're nuts. So uh, all I'm trying to say to you is that here, here we're confronted with this, and, and, and God is saying, look, this is, this is what you must do. And when you, when this happens, when you hear and you believe, notice what he says. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, then, go on to the next one, verse 14, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. How can you know for sure? Here's the question. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit in you? Now, some of you are starting to sweat a little bit. Who knew? 
It sounds Pentecostal. It's Holy Spirit. It's Holy, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you know? Do you know this? Is this a reality? Now, I'm not, notice I didn't ask, are you doing really well? Are you really obeying? Are you, you know, are you, you know, are you a good Christian boy or girl? Are you, you know, are you, you should be a good Christian boy or girl, but do you have the Holy Spirit? This is very similar to second, if you're taking notes, second Corinthians 5, 5. In second Corinthians 5, 5, Paul wrote this. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So now we recognize that the Holy Spirit is a deposit. The word is a down payment. It's a pledge. Some of the old language was an earnest. And you know what this is, right? If you buy something, you make a down payment. You made a down payment on your house. And the whole point of that down payment was I make the down payment. And that pledges me to give you all of it. So now God is saying to us, look, when you heard and you received and and you were born again and placed in Christ, the Spirit of God came into you as a down payment of what is yet to come. What you have now is the Spirit of God living in you, and the Spirit of God living in you is a deposit that guarantees the rest of it's going to be yours, which is like as good as it gets. For this world, this is as good as it gets. If you're looking for more, good luck. This is... Amazing that the Spirit of God is not in you just because you really need the Spirit of God. We do. But the Spirit of God is in you because and me because we desperately need the Spirit of God living in us. We've got to have some help on the inside. And so he lives in us to enable us to do some of these incredible kinds of demanding realities. But he also lives in us to seal us, to be a deposit that guarantees the inheritance is still to come. Your inheritance. What is your inheritance? You ever got an inheritance? We immediately think money. I sat down and I started thinking about inheritance. What is my inheritance in Christ? I made a list. I ran out of paper and time, so let me give you just a few things I wrote down. My inheritance. What is my inheritance? My inheritance is every good gift that God ever chooses to give to me. My inheritance is my is forgiveness of my sin. My inheritance is God's flow of grace in my life. My inheritance involves the mercy that he has given to me. My inheritance is about the love that he has poured out in my heart that enables me to love other people that sometimes are a little unlovable. My inheritance is the gift of eternal life that has begun in this world and will extend forever and ever so that physical death is like a door that you walk through and life continues. My inheritance is the joy that God's given to me, the joys of walking with him. My inheritance involves strength that he's given to me. I fail so many times, but he has given strength. My inheritance is the assurance that he has given to me in my heart. My, my inheritance is he has, he has given me knowledge and understanding. I'm not that smart, but God has revealed things. My inheritance involves power to do things that I would never even want to do, let alone be able to do. My inheritance involves trials and difficulties, and yet with the promise that I will overcome and be able to endure. My inheritance includes my needs being met. Not everything it is I want in my flesh, but everything it is I need, he gives. My inheritance includes peace, peace with God and the peace of God in my own heart. 
My inheritance includes his guidance in my life. My inheritance includes righteousness that God has credited to me, the very righteousness of his own son. What an inheritance. My inheritance includes the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in my life. My inheritance includes spiritual gifts that only the Spirit of God could give. My inheritance includes intimacy with God. I know something of God that I had never known before. My inheritance includes community, oneness with the rest of the body of Christ. My my inheritance includes understanding truth. And he's constantly giving more truth. My inheritance includes being a people of faith and love and hope. And the list goes on and on and on. Some of you are a little older. Did you ever used to sing that song, Count Your Blessings? Name them one by one. It will surprise you what the Lord has done. I can remember singing that. And I remember immediately thinking about physical stuff. My blessings were all stuff, stuff, things, you know, or no big problems today. My blessing, you know, I have a car. I have this car, you know. I have enough money right now. I have a job. That's a blessing, you know. So I'd write down all the physical kind of stuff. And then I began to realize over the years that the blessings, counting your, I don't think the songwriter ever intended that. That when you begin to count your blessings, when you actually begin to name them one by one, you'll come up with a list something like this, and it will all be primarily about what God has done inside you to change you and to bring you to himself and to give you security and confidence. It'll be things like Second Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Really? Really? We have an inheritance now. And we will receive an inheritance soon. The inheritance begins here, and it carries right on into the fullness of the kingdom. It's part of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. You know, if I really believed this, really, and if I, if I just remembered this, I'd be full of joy a lot more than I am. If I really believed this, and if I remembered, I wouldn't fear the future. If I really remembered these blessings from God, I wouldn't love this world as much as I do. If I really believed this and remembered, I'd be more willing to suffer than I am. I began to realize again that no terrorists, no bombs, no disease, no accidents, no tragedies, no horrible events of life, no failures on my part, no needs, no betrayals, no struggles, no sins, is going to prevent one drop of the purpose of God happening in my life if I really believed in Christ I have an inheritance do you? do you know it? you have an inheritance? what is this seal thing? you know about that right? the king would issue a command they'd write it out they'd roll it up in a scroll they'd put string around and they'd take Molten wax, and they'd pour it on it, and he would take a signet ring and go, bam, like that. And he impressed the seal of the king on the document. Sometimes they would do it on people. Sometimes they would imprint on a slave, even, that he's owned by the master. The whole thing of seal is a seal of authenticity and, and, and a seal of authority and ownership. The seal of the Holy Spirit is that God put the Spirit of God in you to seal your salvation, to tell you that you're authentic, that you're real, that you're genuine. That you truly belong to him. That you are a child of God. Way back in the book of Daniel, remember, they 
tossed Daniel in the lion's den and it says the king rolled a big, had a big stone rolled in front and he put the signet seal of the king over the rock. So nobody's going to mess with this, with Daniel in the lion's den. In the New Testament, Jesus is buried in the tomb and the Romans came along, you remember, and the soldiers and they rolled a big stone over that, those tomb and they put the seal of Rome on it so nobody would touch it. But God broke that one. God has the ability to break human seals, but we don't have the ability to break God's seal. You have the seal of the Spirit of God. I ask you again, do you have the Spirit of God? This is a work that only... Have you forgotten this? Oh, I, I, I forget. He, he is the one who whispers in your ear, you are a child of God. He is the one, by the way, why you can't do the stuff you sometimes want to do. Remember Galatians where it says the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit so we cannot do what we want? I used to look at that and say, well, that, that means I cannot do the bad things, you know. But it's really both ways. The Holy Spirit is in me all the time saying, you, you, you just can't keep going that way. You must go this way. You, do you know this presence? Has he, does he, you hear him? Does he talk to you? Has stuff happened in your life that you think is spiritual? Now, my friends, if you're in Christ, you have the seal of the Spirit of God, and He guarantees, He is a down payment of the future that is yet to come. Last part of verse 14. In Christ, we are God's own possession to the praise of His glory, now and forever. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Redemption. Okay, I got a question for you. Redemption. Are you redeemed? You got redemption? Are you redeemed? This says, until the redemption. Ah, but verse 7, you see in your Bible, verse 7? In him we have redemption. This verse says, until the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So, which is it? You got redemption now? Yes or no? Oh, yes. And will you have redemption? Yes. The fullness of, one more time, the now and the not yet of the kingdom, the fullness of redemption is coming. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession, you belong to God, you are the possession of God. You see, if God has done all this, he's saying, you belong to me. And I put the seal of the Spirit of God in which is the down payment of the fullness of redemption that is yet to come, and that's going to be sweet. But you've been redeemed now. By the way, we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a moment. What is this about? It's about the redemption you've already received in Jesus Christ. Matt talked about it last week. To redeem is to go into the slave market and purchase the freedom of a slave. So Jesus has redeemed us, saved us. We were slaves. In him we have redemption through his blood. And it's all, one more time, to the praise of his glory. It is as if everything is about the glory of God. Now I have to ask you, is this the purpose of our life? The praise of his glory? How you doing? Now notice this is not about guilt. This is about do you believe this? Do you believe that life is really about the praise of his glory? And can you give glory to God when life is falling to pieces? Or can we only give glory to God when we are doing well? 
When somebody asks you how you're doing, you think, going really good, praise the Lord. You know, I just don't have very many people say, just life stinks, praise the Lord. You know? <laughs> but you've experienced in your own life that the times when you sometimes can most powerfully bring glory to God is when life stinks. True or not? And when you look around and you see the saints, the men and women of faith, you look at their life and you think, these are men and women of faith who believe and love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And I know that because their life stinks. And this stuff has happened to them and they have chosen to love God. That's how you know a strong marriage. That's how you know a strong Christian. My friends, so we come to the end of these incredible verses. In Christ, we have been blessed, chosen, loved predestined, redeemed, forgiven, included in Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and given an inheritance forever. How incredible is this? So what should we do? Well, immediately we should remember our redemption, that Jesus is the one who made it possible. And then when we go out of here, here's what's going to happen. God is going to give you an opportunity to live to the praise of his glory today. Can you? Will you choose? Let me pray. So, Father, we ask you, will you do in us what only you can? Our brains need help even to wrap around these truths let alone to remember this week. So we just take it a moment at a time. Now is the moment when we are called to respond to an invitation of the Master himself. Father, will you help us now? Will you help us to remember the redemption that was paid for us, that we, by your word, are bought with a price. Bought with a price the body and blood of our Master. Help us to worship now and remember our redemption that we experience now and look forward to the redemption we will fully experience one day as the possession of God. Thank you again for your great blessings to us. And this week, Father, will you do something to remind us who we are? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us in a way we can understand? We allow circumstances in our life to direct us back again to who you are and what you've done for us. I pray for the people sitting in this room that are in despair and who wonder if that's all there is to life. Father, will you do what only you can do for them? Help them lift up the eyes of their heart to be enlightened to what it is you're doing and what it is you will do and the future that they yet have. Help them to hear and believe. And help us to worship in this moment. In the name of Christ, who redeemed us. Amen.